There's a story of a man, he calls a doctor. He's concerned that his wife is starting to lose her hearing. The doctor tells him, well, let's take a test. He said, stand behind her and say something. Stand behind her at a distance and say something in a normal tone of voice. If she does not hear you, keep moving closer, repeating the same thing until she finally responds. Then let me know how close you get before she finally hears you. The man goes home. He sees his wife in the kitchen cutting carrots on the countertop. So he stands about 15 feet away and says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. He inches up. He gets about eight feet away and he asks the same question, honey, what's for dinner? Again, no response. Now very concerned, he gets right up behind her and he asks, honey, what's for dinner? She turns around and says, what is wrong with you? For the third time, beef stew. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who didn't get it, he's the one losing his hearing. You're a little slow, eh? (laughs) amen? Well, there you go. Your joke of the day, I know it blesses you. We are in week five of our series based on the book of Ephesians that we are calling Adulting. And we're going to wrap this up today as we head into the Easter Season. Just want to give you an overview of what's going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. So let me explain the schedule to you. First of all, next weekend is our great egg hunt. It's one of our big days as a church, so it's going to look a lot different than our typical service. Thousands of eggs all over the property. Our kids department's going to be leading the worship time. We're going to have some great drama pieces as well. Short, illustrated salvation message that I'm calling the rope. I'm believing that next weekend we are going to see hundreds of people one to God. So make sure that you're here for that. It's truly a sight to behold. You don't want to miss it. I also heard that the Easter Bunny is going to be in the house, which is a bit tough to get him this time of year because his schedule's kind of full, but he made an exception for us. Um, and also, just as a heads up, because of our event next weekend, um, our food pantry, our clothing closet will both be closed. They will not be open next Sunday. So if you need food, make sure you come during the week. We are also open every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 6. So make sure you take advantage of that this week. We'll also not be serving our hot meal after service because it's going to be kind of chaotic. Um, so it, unless you ride the bus. If you ride the bus, we'll have a to-go meal for you. So you'll be all taken care of. So just make sure that you prepare for that. Then that Friday night, April 15th, 6 o'clock p.m., it's our Good Friday service. It's a family service, only be an hour long. We're going to have a great time of worship and communion, and I'm going to be preaching a special message that I am calling the Tale of Two Basins. I know it will bless you. I really feel like God's given me a great word for that night. Then Sunday morning, April 17th is Easter Sunday. It's going to be a wonderful morning as well. I'm preaching a message that morning called The Tale of Two Trees. So I'm going to kind of spin off of Good Friday. We're going to have a photo station for you set up out in the lobby for pictures. So you want to make sure that you're here. Bring the whole family out for Easter. Okay, if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse number 21, last week we talked about parenting, and today we're going to talk about marriage, amen. Two important issues as it pertains to adulting. You know, when it comes to adulting, you know, working, raising kids, marriage, let's just be honest, this is how it feels most days. 
You know, I just, you know, they say, I just wish I could be a kid again so I didn't have to deal with all of this stuff. Adulting is hard work and it never seems to end. So these topics, especially the last couple weeks, have been kind of difficult topics to discuss just because we're talking about adulting issues. So let's get started. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along up on the screens. Um, if, you don't have, um, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have them available for you out at the hub. Just stop by after service, and we have them in both English and in Spanish. So please uh, make sure that you grab one of those. They're free, so just tell the, the person at the hub that you need one, and we'll get one for you. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21, we're going to read through verse 33. Here's what it says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should also submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but they feed it and they care for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now remember that part. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say in verse 33, this is, I really want to hone in on this verse right here, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I'm calling this message today, and you've probably heard this saying before, happy spouse, happy house. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ as I present this truth from your word, Lord. I pray, God, that when we leave this place today, we would not be the same as when we walk in. And the only way that is going to happen, God, is if you touch each and every person. And so, Father, I ask for your anointing today. Because, God, unless you anoint these words, they will fall flat. They will be useless. But, God, if you anoint them, they will change and transform lives. And so, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to present this word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. When Kyla and I were first married, my grandfather sat me down and he gave me some advice that I would never forget. He and my grandmother had been married 50 years, and so I knew any advice that I received from my grandfather was like a nugget of gold. He proceeded to tell me that the journey of marriage and the journey of raising children, which we talked about last week, is tough. And he reminded me of the scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, that says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. It doesn't say you will face some trouble. It says you will face many troubles in this life. Now, doesn't that sound encouraging? Doesn't that just make you want to go out and get married today? (laughs) 
It's not exactly the scripture that you see written on a wedding card. You don't get somebody a wedding card with the scripture in it. It's not the scripture that they put around a wedding cake. But it's true nonetheless. And here was the advice that he gave me. He said, I don't care who you are or what position you hold in life. Your position will never be greater than your marriage. Your position will never be greater than your family. He knew I was going into ministry, so it really meant a lot to me. He said, there's going to be times in your journey, or there may be times in your journey, where you need to get some help. He said, never be too proud to get help. Your family's much too important to allow pride to get in the way. He then proceeded to tell me something I never knew at that time, that in the early days of his marriage with my grandmother, they had to get help on numerous occasions to work through some stuff. He said he, he himself almost called it quit several times. But they got help. They worked through it. He decided he was going to fight for his family. Little did I know how much those words would mean to me as we started the family. You know, as a young married guy, I'm just getting married and he's giving me this advice. I'm like, yeah, Grandpa, you don't know what you're talking about. It's going to just be somewhere over the rainbow is what we're going to sing when we're married. <laughs> But I've been married to the love of my life now for 21 years. And people see us today and they think, boy, they have it all together. And the truth is I do, but Kyla's still got a few things that she's working on. <laughs> my pulpit blocked it. You don't touch the Lord's anointed. Do you see what just happened there? <laughs> oh, I'm just thankful that she didn't come up here and Chris rock me. <laughs> bad joke, bad joke, amen. No, I'm the one that's got some stuff to work on, let's just be honest. But we, we started young. We, we actually started serving in ministry before we were even married. And the pastor that married us gave us some advice, and he said, guys, I would recommend that you wait to have kids until you've been married a few years. Give it some time to adjust to the marriage and to one another before you add another life into the family. Well, we threw that advice out the window, and we started having kids right away. Jordan came, and this new little life flipped our life, flipped our world upside down. She come along, and as a child, it changed everything for us. People told me that. They said, just wait till the child is born. Your life is going to change. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of naive. I'm thinking, Psh, whatever, it's going to be just fine. A few months after Jordan was born, Kyla got pregnant again, and she miscarried child number two. Now, this was a difficult time for us. We pressed through. Several months later, she was pregnant a third time, and just like the second pregnancy, she miscarried. By this time, our emotions, if you've ever gone through this, you know what I'm talking about. Our emotions were all over the place, and being in full-time ministry, we were struggling and struggling greatly. I was a pastor, and so as a leader, I had to keep my head up. I remember counseling couples through marital problems, and at the same time, mine is falling apart. And I felt like such a hypocrite. But it was during this time that the words from my grandfather began to ring in my ear, and we decided as a couple that we were going to get help. We met with our pastor first, we confessed our struggle. And I was afraid to do that because I had this thought that if he knew what was going on in my home, he might, uh, he might fire me because I'm unstable. However, I took the risk. My family was more important. Just the opposite happened. He met with us, and we decided that we were going to work through some stuff. We made some changes, and I felt the ship was finally starting to turn. 
Shortly after that, there was a lady in the church that came up to Kyla, and she felt like she needed to pray that God would heal her womb. She told the story that God that she that someone had prayed this over her, and she was in, she ended up pregnant with with after numerous miscarriages, pregnant with twins. And so she prayed the prayer of faith over Kyla that God would heal her womb. And two weeks later, she learned uh, this lady that prayed for her that she was pregnant with twins. So she prayed with Kyla. And then two weeks later from that date, Kyla found out she was pregnant with Jalissa. Jalissa was born healthy. Kyla felt like she was completely healed. Things were starting to go well for us. Ministry was strong. Family was strong. We were running a bus ministry at the time, and we had this little 12-year-old girl that would attend very faithfully. She was a foster kid, bounced from home to home. Parents didn't want her. Her prayer was that God would give her a family. She was told by the system that was very unlikely due to her age. They said people don't want to adopt 12-year-old kids. They want to adopt babies. Kyla and I grew to love that little girl. We made the decision to go against the trend. Things are going well and to adopt her. Becoming foster parents was the first step, so we became licensed. She came to live with us. So Jordan went from being the oldest child to the middle child almost overnight. And we now have three mouths to feed, and this added much more stress than we had anticipating. Fostering is very difficult work. For those of you that have done it, you know what I'm talking about. On top of this, we now have a child that's nearly a teenager, and we don't have a clue how to raise a teenager. We didn't even know what we were doing with the younger two. Why the state gave us a teenager is still beyond me. But this additional stress was a new dynamic, and it again, it caused a rift between Kyla and I, but we pressed through it. Shortly after this, Kyla got pregnant again. I swear every time I sneeze, she got pregnant. And like child two and three, she lost it. Three miscarriages. And here's where things really started to spin out of control for us. Because she felt like God had healed her womb. And here we are. You ever felt like God has made you a promise and then, you, you, and then life hits you again? So she got angry at God. She said bitterness began to fill her heart. And we were in what seemed like a constant argument at this time. A lot of anger began to come out. I remember driving to the church one morning convinced that it was, that it was over. How am I going to resign? How am I going to do that? I'm, it's, it's over. I still remember the prayer driving down the road that day. I said, God, I know I'm a messed up man. I know I've made a lot of mistakes. So maybe you're not even listening to me because I didn't even feel like God was listening to me at the time. But I said, if you are listening, God, I need your help. If you don't intervene here, this is over. You're my only hope, God, amen. My pastor told me he wanted to help, but the problems we were facing was beyond his ability, so he put us in, a con he put us in contact with another retired pastor, and he agreed to meet with us. We had to see that man on three separate occasions, but after much prayer and healing, we, we, uh, we started to turn the corner once again, shortly after Kyla was pregnant again and gave birth to Jace nine months later. So in our first few years of marriage, we had six pregnancies. We lost three of them. We had one adoption and counseling four times. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 28, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Are you having trouble in your marriage? People have trouble and they say something's wrong and you read this and you say, no, that sounds about right. <laughs> 
I wanted, you to tell, I wanted to tell you my story this morning for a reason. I think I've told it before, but you see, anytime we hear a message like this on parenting or on marriage or whatever, or any other life issue such as this, sometimes it can make us feel condemned. If you are in here this morning and you've experienced a divorce, I in no way want you to feel condemnation because the truth is, and this is what I'm going to show you today, marriage takes two people. It's not 50-50 as you've probably heard before. That's a bunch of garbage. Marriage is 100-100. And if one person chooses not to give 100% to the marriage... There's nothing you can do about that. You can't control the other person. At any time in our marriage, Kyla could have walked out on me. I mean, I was a jerk at times. I have said things to her that hurt her. She could have left me on numerous occasions, and if she did, I could not control that decision. Likewise, I could have left her, and if I did, she could not have controlled that decision. So it takes two. So it's possible that if, you have, if you're in here this morning and you have faced a divorce, there's nothing that's possible, there's nothing you could have done because you can't control the other person. So if you've experienced a divorce, this is a no-condemnation message, but I want to show you what the Bible says about marriage and divorce and how important marriage is to God. I don't think many people understand how serious God is about marriage. This is what God says in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, and I'm surprised the, the, the amount of people that have never seen this. This is God speaking. It says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Take note of that right there. That is important. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. God himself says, I hate divorce. Not very often in Scripture do we see that God hates something. Does He say that He hates something? But here it says He hates divorce. And before we discuss what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to tell you why God hates divorce. Marriage is under attack here in our country. In 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. Today, less than 50% of adult Americans are married. Satan has worked overtime to destroy the marriage and to destroy the family. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 19. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Verse 3, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, they're trying to trick him, with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Here in Matthew chapter 19, a group of Pharisees come and ask Jesus two questions. We just read the first question. Commonly, what you will see though is 
his answer to the second question, we apply that to the first question. But I need you to understand that they ask two separate questions here and Jesus gives two separate answers. The purpose of this is to trap Jesus. So they're a difficult question. The first question they ask is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Basically, what they're looking for is criteria of when it would be okay to divorce your spouse. So if this is something that you have wondered, when is it okay that I divorce my spouse? Jesus answers this, and it's very, very clear. Verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. So basically, he says, haven't you read the Bible? It's pretty clear. They record that from the beginning... God made them male and female. Jesus is now quoting the account of creation in the book of Genesis. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And Paul said that in Ephesians as well. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's his answer to the first question. So in the eyes of God, when you are married, you are no longer two individuals, but you become one. Jesus said, let nobody split apart what God has joined together. It's a strong covenant. So to answer their question, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Watch this. Jesus says... No. That's his answer to that question. No. But because he says no, they then follow it up with a second question. Now watch this, verse 7. Then why did Moses say in the law, because Moses permitted divorce, it was in the law, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession, now watch this, to your hard hearts. Remember what we read back in Malachi about guarding your heart? Very important, same thing, same line. But it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus tells them, yes, Moses permitted divorce under the law. Why? Because of your hard heart. However, that's not what God had intended. At this time in history, you have to understand this a little bit. When Moses made divorce a part of the law, men were marrying other women and they were neglecting their first wife and even abusing her in some cases. So because of the marriage covenant and how serious it was, she couldn't get out. In essence, she is trapped into this lifestyle. She's being abused and she can't get out. So Moses makes divorce a part of the law, permitting her to divorce and maybe find another man who is going to now treat her the way she deserves to be treated, like a queen. That's where this came from. So notice Jesus said that Moses permitted divorce. It was never God's intention. 
but it was permitted because of the hardness of the human heart. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, guys, look, here's the ideal. Here is the ideal right here. The two shall become one. They're married before God. However, God does allow this over here when human sinfulness and hardness of heart has made the ideal unobtainable. I want you to know, and I've noticed this over the years, that in every divorce, there's at least one person that has developed a hard heart. Sometimes both individuals have a hard heart, but many times I've seen that it's just the one. Oftentimes I'll have an individual come into my office because their spouse has left them, and they are wanting it to work. Their spouse does not want it to work, and of course you need to meet with both of them, both of them, and the spouse refuses. It's because their spouse has allowed their heart to become hard. Let me paint a word picture to help you understand this. Let's just say a man has an affair on his wife, and I'm using that example because Jesus talks about marital unfaithfulness here in Matthew. His wife finds out about it, and of course she is angry. She is hurt. Every wife would be. She says, that's enough. You cross the line. We're getting a divorce. The husband begs her for another chance. She's having no part of it. She sees a divorce attorney the very next day. Now, what has happened? In this particular case, the wife did absolutely nothing wrong. The wife is innocent. The husband is the one that messed up. But whose heart is hard? The wife. The husband wants to make it work. The wife says, nope. The wife did nothing wrong. But she's the one that's now battling the hard heart. And unless she deals with that, there's going to be a divorce. Doesn't seem fair, does it? The wife's innocent. But that's what sin does. That's a result of sin. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. It wasn't fair to him to hang on the cross, but that's what sin does. This could be anything. It could be a spouse that is, has a drinking problem. They're an alcoholic or they have another type of addiction or they're lazy or they're mean or whatever it might be. And over time, their partner gets tired of dealing with it and they slowly develop a hard heart. And oftentimes the marriage will end in divorce. In every divorce, there's at least one person, if you dig down to the root, that has a hard heart, and the hard heart is a result of sin. So, if divorce is the result of a hard heart, as Jesus has said, as Malachi said, to guard our heart, if the result for divorce is because our hearts have become hard, the question is, how do we keep that from happening to us? How do we guard our heart as we're told in Malachi? Well, Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5, which we read just a minute ago. This is truly amazing. I'm going to read one verse again because this one verse basically sums up all that we read in Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 21. I'm going to read verse 33 again. It says, so again I say, this is a summary, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This is the recipe that will keep your heart from becoming hard. 
Notice the instructions are for both the husband and the wife. Both have a part to play. Remember, it's 100-100. Again, you can't control your spouse. You, you can only control you. But I'm going to tell you, if both husband and wife follow this advice, it will protect your heart from becoming hard. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Notice it doesn't say wives love your husbands. It says respect your husband. Generally speaking, now I know that there are some variables, but generally speaking, the number one desire for women is to be loved. Generally speaking, you, it might be different for your marriage, but the number one desire for men is to be respected. Men have killed other men because somebody disrespected them. Watch one of those prison shows on TV. On the men's side, you're going to see one word repeated over and over and over again. Respect. Don't show anybody disrespect. Disrespect will get you beat up and maybe even killed. So let's first talk to the men. What does it mean to love your wife as you love yourself? We see examples, there's a hundred different examples that we could give, but we're going we're gonna to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. It's the love chapter, here's what it says. Love is patient and it's kind. This is what it looks like to love your spouse, love your wife. We can tell our wives we love them all day long, but unless we follow it with action, and these are all going to be actions here, it means nothing. Honey, I love you as we avoid, as we don't, as we fail to do this. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not my way or the highway, honey. That's not love. It is not irritable and it keeps, now watch, no record of being wronged not saying it's easy to do this this is just what this is what the word of God says it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out love never gives up it never loses faith it's always hopeful and it, it endures through every circumstance for my wife to know that I love her is for her to know that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to love you through it. This is what it means to love your wife. It's the image of a husband that is patient, a husband that is kind. He doesn't tear his wife down with words, but rather he builds her up. He doesn't have to have his own way. This is what I see with a lot of Men, a lot of husbands, we got to see, we got to have our own way. He's willing to sacrifice for his wife and put, put her needs above his needs, even if that means he goes without. That's love. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's love. And that's hard because we have this selfishness within us that it's all about me and it's all about what I want. And when we begin to learn to put our spouse's needs above ours, it shows our wives that we love them. This is the biblical definition of love. This isn't my definition. This is the biblical definition. 
We could go on, but that's a snapshot of what love looks like. Again, it's not just speaking, it's action. Basically, you're willing to give your life for your wife, just as Christ surrendered his life for you and for I. That's what love is. If a wife knows she's loved, her heart will not become hard. Now, women, what does it mean to respect your husband? We could give 100,000 different examples here, but we're going to take a snippet from Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. Here's what it says. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Sounds like she's exhausted. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers are twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has Harm clothes, warm clothes. We could read all of chapter 31 there. We see here one of the wives, the ways a wife respects her husband is by working hard and keeping the home in order. This doesn't mean that she does all of the housework, but she takes care of the needs of her family. Again, this is what it says in the Word of God. She is intentional about taking care of the needs of her husband and her children. Now, some women don't like to hear that. But I'm going to tell you that we, Kyla and I, have both counseled many couples where the husband is frustrated because his wife doesn't do this. Why does he get frustrated? Because it makes him feel disrespected. Agree with that or not, it's a real issue that we have encountered with couples more than once. It makes him feel like she does not value him. It has nothing to do with the home It's a respect issue. Now watch this. Verse 11 says she can be trusted. This is a big one. If you get nothing else out of here, ladies, this is a big one. Let me tell you, as a man, nothing disrespects your husband faster than criticizing him in front of other people. I have seen women get together with their group of friends and they will just flat out destroy their husbands with their words. They will completely tear them down to one another. They'll tear their husbands down. They will belittle them in front of the kids. I want to tell you, I'm so thankful for my wife. She doesn't do that to me. She could. I give her about a million and one reasons to, but she doesn't do that to me. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, and some of you ladies may have never thought of this before, but to a man, it is a very big deal because it's a respect issue. If my wife would do that, it would be like someone coming up behind me, jamming a knife into my back and twisting it. That's what it feels like. I don't really care if other people talk negatively about, my, around, uh, about me behind my back. If it's a dinner table and, you, and people are bashing me, I, I honestly, I don't care. If I hear about it, I don't care. I used to, but I was more immature at that time. But as I matured over the years, that really doesn't bother me anymore. I just let God take care of that. And, and, and move on. But when it comes from my spouse, it carries a lot more weight. 
And here's what happens. There's a teaching that is called the crazy cycle. Maybe some of you have read this book. We've actually gone through this teaching several times, or a few times in our marriage class. We could even do it again. It's a phenomenal teaching. If you've never read the book before, I encourage you to do it. It's a, it's a game changer for, for your marriage. It's called the crazy cycle. But this is kind of the, 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 the synopsis of this. So basically, what happens is a wife will withhold respect from her husband, and in return, the husband will then oftentimes withhold love from his wife and vice versa. Not intentionally, but this is typically what happens. So when the husband withholds love, the wife holds, withholds respect, which leads to the husband withholding love, which leads to the wife withholding respect, and on and on and on and on. And they get on this cycle and the thing starts spinning. And if they spin long enough, as we just discussed, hearts will start to harden. And if it's not corrected, it's very possible that there could be a divorce in the future. It only takes one person to break the cycle. One person in the relationship has to swallow their pride and be the bigger person. And until that happens, that cycle will keep spinning. Over and over and over again. One person has to say, you know what? I don't feel like my wife respects me, but I am going to love her anyway. I'm going to do my part. One person has to say, you know what? I don't feel like my husband loves me, but I'm going to respect him anyway. I'm going to do my part. And time and time again, I have seen this cycle broken when one person decides to swallow their pride and make a change. Because what usually happens is when the wife gives her husband respect, he begins to respond with love. And when the, lo- when the husband first starts to love his wife, again through action, she responds with respect. It takes two And if both people in the relationship commit to this principle right here and give 100%, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100, you give your all. And if both couples do that, this is beautiful. And if you do that, you're more than likely, you'll never have to worry about developing a hard heart towards your spouse. You'll never have to worry about a divorce. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to have, Sam, if you could go ahead and, and come on up that, this time, that would be wonderful. You know, marriage is tough, but I'm telling you, if you commit to this today, men, if you say, you know what, I'm going to walk out of here today, and I'm going to do my best. It's, it's not easy, but I'm going to do my best to love my wife. Ladies, if you walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect my husband. Maybe you're, you've, you've been trashing him to other people. and Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that this morning. You could stop today. You could walk out of here today and commit, I'm never going to do that again. If I hear my friends do it, I'm not going to do it. You don't have to condemn your friends. And, and, but you could say, I'm not going to be involved in that because I respect my husband. Father, today we just want to thank you for the truth from your word that makes us better people, that makes us more like you. 
So many marriages, God, have been destroyed over the years. And a lot of it is because we just, we can't get over the I've been wronged principle. So God, today I just pray in the name of Jesus. We can't control our spouse, but we can control the person that we are. So God, let us leave this place today and for the men to say, you know what, I'm going to love my wife from here on out. I'm going to do the best I can to to love her, to put her needs before mine. And the women will say, I'm going to respect my husband. And God, and I just ask in Jesus' name, I pray for those right now, God, that that don't have a maybe a spouse that's in here. Maybe they're at home. They, they're not saved. They don't know you, God. I just pray a special touch and a blessing over them, God, to go home and to, to do this work and put in the hard work into their marriage. We thank you for it today. God, I thank you for the marriage. I pray a touch and a blessing over each and every marriage in this place today, God. I pray for those that have not gotten married yet, Lord, and that when they do, they would remember this truth from your word, how to avoid the hard heart. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I pray that you bless each marriage. Bless those marriages online, God, that are watching us online, I ask in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it today. I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I never like to close a service without giving you an opportunity to get your life right with God. I believe we have some people in here today that you need God in your life, just to point it blunt, just point, put, it, put it bluntly, and you need God in your life bad. You've walked into this place today and you're sitting in the, in the seat that you are, maybe you're watching online and you feel like there's something missing inside of you. You feel broken, you feel lost. You've been chasing that emptiness that you feel all your life. You've tried to fill it with money. You've tried to fill it with relationships. If I just get with that person, I'll be complete. They'll make me happy. If I just get that job, I'll be complete. And we've chased this and we've pursued this and we realize that once we accomplish it, it gives us a temporary satisfaction, a temporary fulfillment, but it always goes away. That's because the things of this world will never fill you. They'll never complete you. But Jesus said, I I will give you the living water and you will never thirst again. Only God can complete that emptiness that you feel. And so some of you just need to get your life right with God today. You need to confess your sin. Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. God will never forgive me. Oh, yes, that's why he went to the cross. The word of God says that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you because of our sin that's why he went to the cross and there's no sin greater than his sacrifice so if you're in here today and you need forgiveness you say pastor I want to get my life right with God if that's you I want to pray with you before you leave and just so I know who I'm praying for what I'm going to do with every head bowed and every eye closed just so I know who I'm praying for I'm going to count to three and when I get to three If you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life to become my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand on the count of three because I want to see who I'm praying for. Nobody's looking around right now. This is just between you and God. I don't care what the person sitting next to you is doing. This is between you and God right now. And don't let this moment go because you could leave this place forever changed 
by God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to see your hands on the count of three because I want to see who I'm praying for today. One, two, three, right now. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Put them. I see them going up all over the place. Yes, I see your hands in the middle. Thank you, God. See your hands way off to the side in the front. Thank you, Jesus. See your hands to the side over here. Right, 10, 15 hands up right now. God, thank you so much. You're so good. You can put your hands down. Now, if you just lifted your hand, just listen to me. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to say a prayer. And I want you to repeat this out loud after me if you lifted your hand. If you didn't lift your hand, I want you to say this with them to encourage them today. Because the Word of God tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that He rose from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be set free from your sin. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to confess with our mouth through a prayer that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I'm going to pray this. I'm going to lead you in this. I'm going to pray it slowly. But as you speak these words, I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting right right next to you. No one else is in this room but you and him right now. And when you speak this, you're speaking to him just like he's your friend. That's all prayer is, talking to God. So let's pray this together loud and strong. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I'm a sinner. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord, my God, and my Savior. And so today, Jesus, I am yours. You have my heart. You have my life. Thank you for saving me and for rescuing me from sin. In Jesus' name.